Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on with you? Oh, well, uh, you know, just uh, uh, getting ready for the hot weather. It feels like it's about to uh, it's about to come in in full force here. It's uh, we've we've been lucky. It's, we've had an extended mild period here in New Orleans, wouldn't you say? I don't. I mean, it's been. It was like nine. I got into my car from work. I left the office. I got in my car, and it said 101 degrees. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it was quite. God. I mean, maybe, maybe in the closed-up car. No, it's it brutal, man. It's fucking brutal already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's about to get very hot. You can feel it. That yeah. sounds yeah. worse than New Orleans. And New Orleans is. Ugh. Well, we're, we know. are in New Orleans, Ross. That's that's where that's where this is happening. That's where the heat is. Um, but <laughs> Manny, so uh, we we. Didn't have a show last week because uh, 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 surprisingly you were called out of town. You were called back to your uh, your ancestral homeland, Los Angeles. Yeah, I was. Yeah, um, um, I had a call from family and my uncle, who uh, is like ninety years old. He uh, he's not well. You know, so I, I rushed out to go see him. And I'm his favorite nephew. Oh, nice. Of course. Like, he's my uncle, and he's also uh, just a great guy. Hmm. And he has always been a great guy. And, and I'm his favorite nephew, and he's my favorite uncle. So I went out to L.A. Uh, I took the family out to L.A. Uh, last week, you know, with very little notice. And I'll tell you, man, we were there for like eight days. It was 72 degrees and sunny. With a little breeze, it was postcard weather, man. Yeah, it was perfect. Not like here, right? It was gorgeous. <laughs> right. It was, I didn't want to leave, man. And we had a hotel right on right on the beach. Oh, like nice. Two blocks away from the sand. Went up and down the boardwalk every morning, and it was fucking fabulous, man. It oh, was very. postcard, you know, great thing to happen. But yeah, I uh, I had to go. Uh, uh, see my uncle. So was he happy to see you? Was he excited? Well, yeah, he was very happy to see me, but I didn't know, uh, that his immediate family, my aunt and my cousins, um, he wasn't on his deathbed at all. Well, that's good. He was basically, uh, they called me in to, uh, to get it. They were having an intervention for him. Really? Yeah. (laughs) A 90. He's like 90 years old and he's still, you know, drinking and he's still doing drugs and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and so not in, they not thought, just they booze, thought, but also drugs. I'd like yeah. to meet your uncle. I, at, at oh, point, yeah. At, 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 in your 90s, you think they just let you go, you know? What's, what's, well, what's yeah, the harm well, in it, you know? Well, there's a lot of money at stake there. Oh, ah, okay. You know, so yeah. I had to go there. And they thought me being his favorite nephew could talk him into, you know, maybe going into rehab and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or, you know, but uh, I think it'd be too dangerous for him to quit at his age. Well, that's what I said. That's yeah. what I said to my cousins and my aunt, you know, if he quits now, He's gonna be- it's going to be bad. Like if I quit drinking now, it's going to be bad. That's why I'm never going to quit, you know? Okay. 
Um, You're not a quitter, man. I'm not a quitter, well, but Manny I come a from quitter. a long line of quitters. Yeah, yeah. So, Manny uh, is a quitter, but but not yeah. not with the booze. Yeah. <laughs> so but anyway, I was going to say, were you able to persuade them that uh, you know your uncle was fine as he was, as he is? Well, it, no, I wasn't. I was actually, um, you know, talking to the, everything. You know, there was people. You know, everyone writes out what they say in an intervention and how much they love them, and it's all about them, and no one's, no one's judging and all that. Get and you it, the help you need. Yeah, and stuff like that, and. Uh, I was, you know, by the end of the intervention, to make a long story short, by the end of the intervention, me and my uncle went down to Alvarado Street. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just got a fucking drink. And right. we went by the Pioneer Chicken Stand, and all was good. Okay. But you know what's weird about L.A., man? Because, hmm. um, uh, you know, I rented a car, and... Um, you know, drove around everywhere and stuff. I took the wife and kids to places and stuff like that. And, um, but I was noticing that, uh, I guess because Uber is such a, a big thing in Los Angeles. It's such an industry in Los Angeles that even at the airport and all around the city, I did not see one cab, no cabs anymore. Yep. And I, I, I talked to a Uber driver because, you know, we rented a car, but we were in certain places. Like we went downtown to check out the fashion district. My, my, my wife and kid wanted to shop, but we parked somewhere downtown and then we Ubered around downtown, you know, because, you know, L.A., nobody walks in L.A., so I, was like, well, I wasn't going to walk. Right. It's hard to park anyway, right? Yeah, it's very hard places, to park, so, yeah. too. Yeah. So I was talking to this Uber driver and he said that um, – the reason why you don't see any cabs is because they're still around. The cabs are still around, but Uber has become such an industry in, in a city like L.A. that um, the only way you can get a cab is like you do at a restaurant. You make a reservation. You make an appointment for a cab. You, you just don't hail, yeah. you don't hail cabs anymore. Or you, or you don't like, you know. But can you hail an Uber at the airport? I've. I've no, you still have to do everything if, okay. with the app. It's all about the app, you know. It's so like, still about the app. I thought yeah. maybe that that they had run off the cabs and said. <laughs> but by the end of the trip, I did see a couple of cabs, and I realized, well, you know, there's people who are old school or don't have an app to Uber, and they're just like they made a reservation for a cab to pick them up at a certain time and to take them to a certain place, and it's kind of weird. I mean, it's very strange. Yes, I mean, not seeing cabs, especially yeah, at the airport. Not seeing cabs at the airport. That sounds uh, like Memphis, which you have uh, to call cabs. You right, and New Orleans, too. No. Yeah, but, you know, certain places still, downtown, you will see them, you know, lined yeah, up in front or the of uh, hotels and stuff. But I have heard bus that. Bus station. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I have heard that, uh, you know, with the, the you know prevalence of, of uh, Uber and, and uh, you know, Lyft and all these ride services that, uh, you know, the driving cabs out of business and then now i think the the rates of of uber and lyft are going up in a lot of a lot of places once they've they've cleaned house of of all the cab drivers so yeah. i don't know we may not have seen the last of this this arc of uh you know replacing yeah. the 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 cab and and another weird thing was you know uh because every la los angeles officially wasn't going to open 100 percent until this weekend Mm -hmm. June 15th. 
we were there when they weren't 100 percent but um I, we noticed like when we flew out of new orleans and into lax um like when we flew out of new orleans it was like 11 o'clock flight in the morning we got there like an hour or so early and nothing was open we couldn't get a a, a meal None of the restaurants, maybe a few gift shops and a coffee shop. Like our friend uh, Susan Spicer's restaurant was closed. What huh. time did you get there? Well, it was like 1030 in the morning. And then we were, when we came back to New Orleans, her restaurant was still closed. Hmm. So That's I don't know. I, it's all about getting workers. You can't get workers. I have heard that. Yeah, it's 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 hard to uh, to to staff everything right now. And in LAX, when we were flying back to New Orleans from LAX, there was like two places in our terminal that had food and drink, but the wait was like 35 minutes to get like, you know, some French fries and a cocktail or something like that. It was ridiculous. Hmm. And uh, so let's hope, uh, and it all has to do with the extra 300 bucks everyone's getting for uh, not working. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, well, that's, that's not going to last for, for too much longer here. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, I've heard, heard businesses say that. And, you know, and I, I would say if that is the case, they can't be paying a great wage at the, at the business because it wouldn't be hard to make more than $300 a week if you were working somewhere where they, you know, they were paying decent wages. So, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I mean, look at uh, what just happened yesterday here in New Orleans. Uh, uh, strip clubs, or they can't find strippers, so they're giving thousand dollar <laughs> bonuses for hmm. strippers who will come and uh, you know, okay, you know, want to be hired. Uh, right. Larry Flint's club in on Bourbon Street is giving a thousand dollar bonus for anyone who applies. Well, not anyone. Apparently, it's very they're very picky. It's like yeah, uh, they don't want fat chicks. Okay. And, they don't want uh, <laughs> no fat chicks. That's yeah. sizest. Yeah, yeah. And, well. uh, they don't want uh, guys like me because I was thinking of getting, you know, going back to stripping too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, sure. They're not hiring for you. No, yeah, they're Chip not hiring Dale. for me. All right. Well, it could yeah. could be a, a golden opportunity for uh, some enterprising young woman to, uh, you know, to get into the business. Well, well, Manny, I need to get the names of some of these clubs because there are some out of work strippers here in town, and they would love to up in Memphis. Uh, okay, be part of this. Well, Larry mm -hmm. Flint, um, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, I don't know. Great, great yeah, man. yeah, they're pretty easy to find. Just yeah, just they're, they're all the, they're all on the I same imagine. street. Oh, <laughs> they're all on the same yeah. street. But the the funniest thing uh, about being back in L.A., I was able to see some family and a couple of friends and uh, we were, we were driving around in the rent a car and we we're just driving around and uh, you know, my daughter's driving now mm, yeah. and uh, we, were, we were just driving through some, like I took her to where I went to high school and I drove around like certain areas. I used to hang out and stuff. And the funniest thing my daughter said, you know, she's from new Orleans and she's learned to drive in new Orleans. Um, She's like, all of a sudden, out of the blue, she says, damn, the streets are smooth here. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what, man? I We never hit a pothole or yeah. nothing. It was so beautiful. It was yeah, just it's... like, what? It was like, you know, you can like actually drive and take your hands off the steering wheel and keep going 
straight <laughs> and straight in your lane. Yeah, it seems, was, it seems worse than ever here, man. Just uh, streets that used to be decent, not great, but used to be decent are now terrible. Um, I don't know. I, you know, uh, and that brings me to, uh, you know, the mayor's race, which I know, Manny, you're, you're gearing up for for your next run. Um, Team the, Manny. The, the, the current mayor, LaToya Cantrell, she must be incredibly confident in because because it seems like she's she's letting it all fly. You know, there there's a. Uh, the, she, she's so I'm reading the newspaper while you're gone. Uh, you know, they came out with the news and I knew this already, but you know, this guy that she appointed to regulate the short term rentals. Yeah. In the city, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, they, I, 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 he had, he came from the short term rental industry and had been running one. Well, it turns out they put it in the pit newspaper a few days ago, uh, yes, in fact, he still has an interest in uh, short-term rental companies that he's going to be regulating. So, uh, you know, once again, the, 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 the inside dealing continues. Then on the same paper, they had uh, the developer of the Hard Rock Hotel that collapsed. And he wants to read it. He wants to go. He wants a second chance. Yes, he wants to do it uh, exactly the same way. He said, you know, it wasn't my fault it fell down. Uh, let me build it again. Let me try again. Let's try yeah. the same business and then, model. And then, and then the next day in the newspaper that came out that uh, that that Latoya Cantrell had uh, had appeared at a at a performance by uh, uh, you know convicted uh, felon Irvin Mayfield, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. At the at the the uh, what is it? The Mansions Magnolia Mansions Hotel, which that got has, raided by the FBI. Right, right. Which has its own story. It's owned by uh, uh, Fuad Zetan, Fred the Painter, who has his own his own issues with uh, uh, you know with the law. Um, so he 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 owns that, and he's been employing Irvin Mayfield for uh, for months there. And so in attendance at this performance was Latoya Cantrell and Marlon Gusman, you know, the the Orleans Parish Sheriff. And they both got up on stage and urged that uh, we need to support Irvin Mayfield. Yeah, I saw all of that while I was in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, well, it's just more ammo, I think, for me. Hopefully, you know, some more ammo. That yes. we can uh, send uh, Latoya's way, and yes. uh, I, I just think uh, you know, talk about putting your foot in your mouth. Uh, why would you uh, endorse a guy who swindled what a million dollars yeah, from one, the, a one library, point, a library yeah. of all places? Right, one point three million dollars. He, yeah. he, uh, he, he, uh, yes, fraudulently removed, took money, and paid it into his his business. Well, Latoya. Well, he's still a good guy, I guess. That's the way she looks at it. Yeah. Right. Well, he's a good guy, you know. Well, you I, know. I, I, I think underneath there's if you really, if he were to testify about everything he knew about, you would find there's a lot of people who have never been touched who are on the library board. They sit on other boards that Irvin was on, and there was some, you know, one hand washing the other between these boards. And if you really started digging in and, 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 you know, usually when you have someone plead guilty or get convicted of something, they have, they, they have an incentive to uh, try to aid in investigation, you know, could reduce their sentence. Well, I don't know that any of that has gone on. So uh, I think this is, this is a way to kind of whitewash the whole thing. Some of these high-powered people come on and go, oh, just l let him off, you know. 
Yeah, know. he's he's a good guy, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's fine. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, yeah, he he, <laughs> he he ate some bodies, but deep down he was a good kid, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's Hitler. basically that's the logic. Hitler. They're really great guys if you if you met them. Yeah, if you get to know them, you know, uh, Charles Manson. Uh, you know, he, he got abused as a kid, but he's a good guy. You misunderstood. Know? Yeah, just misunderstood. And this is this is the the waxing that they do. You know, and Latoya, I mean, she's very, you're right, she's very confident because no one has come out. And, you know, qualifying is July 14th. That's the last day to qualify uh, against, to run against her. Now, I've only met one other person who's thinking of running for mayor against her. Hmm. And this is a guy who kind of lives close to me in my neighborhood. I don't know if you saw this. It was on NOLA.com. It was on YouTube. There was, he's a guy um, who lives on Dergenoir, right off Esplanade or whatever, but I can't remember his name right now, but he was the one, it was on NOLA.com and stuff and, and The Advocate. Apparently, a bunch of people blocked off a street to have a porch party, and they used their cars to block off a street without any permit or anything. Because they were having a porch party, and these were a bunch of like uh, mostly white people who weren't who aren't even from here. And he called them out on it because he was trying to get home because he lived on that street. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Wait a minute, you got your two SUVs here, and you're blocking my entrance to this. I don't give a damn if you're having a porch party. Where's your permit? Show me your permit." And they didn't have permits. And it's a okay. nine-minute YouTube video. I forget the guy's name. You could probably find it. And he called the cops. Cops came, and uh, he walked around the street taping the whole thing and saying, you know, this is illegal. You can't do this. If you have a – fine, have a porch party. Who cares? Have a porch party. But you can't block off the street. Right, right. You well, know, you know and, uh, Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, my point is, yeah, he's and he's thinking of running for mayor. This guy, he's a good guy. He's got kids who go to Saint Aug and stuff like that, and he's been an activist for a while here in the city. I, I don't remember his name right now. Uh, that's how much of an impact he made on me. So right. So it could it could it could potentially be uh, Latoya Cantrell and you and this other fella sitting up there on the on the first few debates. Well, that's, see, that's another thing. I mean, the print media has to give you your time. The TV media doesn't have to give you your time. If you, they if could they just don't not want. have debates, potentially. Right. They, they just don't have, give her because, time to uh, Because to what speak. they do is the TV media, um, they, uh, they take polls. Mm -hmm. And let's say, like in the past, I haven't been invited to a bunch of forums or debates because I didn't poll well. You know, right. you had like six candidates and four of them polled very well as being like contenders and the other two didn't poll well. So they're like, eh, you know, right. we're not going to, we're not going to bother with you. But I'm hoping, um, and I think it might happen is that if no one runs against Latoya except me and maybe this other guy, what happens is there's going to be a lot more interest, interest groups wanting to know what I feel about this and wanting to give us money. And once they give us money, that gives us more because uh, it's all about money. Okay. Once they give you more money, then you're able to get out there more, get get advertising, get you know yard cards, bumper stickers, all that kind of stuff. 
that'll help you get the word out. Because usually, you know, because basically the last few years of few elections, it's been my staff has been me and my wife. Right, right, right. You know, who's so kind to me because she's a graphic artist and she designs all my, you know, hilarious stuff that I come up with. But, you know, you know my campaign crew. Yes, you know, I have a yes. campaign crew. Dave you know Turgeon, them. Dave, Dave Clements. Yes, yes, yes. The, yeah, Turgeon, the, Clements, and uh, Surrey. And Greg but, Surrey. But, you know, right. you, have, you, you go to a campaign uh, meeting with those guys and, you know, it ends up uh, a jam session. They're, they're yeah. doing like old Jimi Hendrix songs and stuff, you know. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, enough about that. Let's, we've spent too much time. Let's get to our guest because I think he's excited. And yes. apparently I heard yes. through the grapevine that? that he's a shit rocker. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what a shit rocker is. Well, we'll have to find I'm, out. I'm curious. We'll I, haven't, I haven't heard that term, but I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, okay, so uh, so our guest, he's a, a, I've known him for a long time, since I, I first started playing with the Panther Burns. I met him. When he's you a, were 18 years old. Yes, yes, I, I was. He's, he's, a, he's a drummer, a recording artist, a raconteur, author, degenerate. Uh, he specializes in rockabilly. That. Don't blues, ever leave that out. Trash, <laughs> tr- trash rock and roll. And, and uh, he's, he's a friend of Kip's. Right. He's a yes, friend he's of, yes, yeah. he's he's a friend of everyone's. Really, he's a, so he's a, also known as the Baron of Love. Without further ado, Mr. Ross Johnson. Welcome, Ross. Hello, everyone. It's so good to be here today. Good Manny, to have you. Good Renee, to have you, Ross. So yes, I was saying, are- I was saying, I first the first time I ever met you was my first Pantherburn gig. We it was at Tupelo's <laughs> yeah. Uptown New Orleans, nineteen eighty three. Uh, Tav flew you and Jim Dickinson down from Memphis to play the gig. Uh, I remember that, yeah. Um, by the end of the gig, you were on your side with the floor tom in between your legs, playing it like a three-year-old banging on it. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the guitars were all turned up to 10. With that kind of sounds with, like me. <laughs> with, the, uh, with, with the reverb That's... turned all the way up. The guitars were all feeding back. And I'm looking around going, my God, what, how, how have I wound up here? And, <laughs> and I know. Now, now I, I, I didn't even talk to you that night because at the, by the end of the night, you were beyond talking to. You were beyond conversation. I, I was a bit post-language at that point. I think somebody had... Uh, one of our early gigs in New Orleans, um, someone put all their hardware stuff into a uh, golf uh, bag. Uh-huh. And so I'm not sure if this was the night of the uh, hunching the floor, Tom, but anyway, <laughs> I picked up the, the uh, uh, golf bag and I, and, put it over my head and all this metal fell. Off. Just, um, you got yeah, brained was, by some of the, uh, some of the hardware. Okay. Yeah, it was, it, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that was, a that was a finisher. Yeah. Right. That was the closing, closing number now. Uh, but you had been playing in the Panther burns for, for, uh, several years by that time. I mean, that was, it was uh, still kind of the early days, but really you started, uh, 
like back in 79, you're right, right at the ground yeah. floor of the Panther Burns. But, and you even had an association with uh, like Alex Chilton and Dickinson before that. Now, how did you first meet those guys? All right, let's see. Um, Jim Dickinson. Uh, I do have a book, but it sold all the paper copies out. It's called Baron of Love, Moral Giant. Um, I actually bought a copy today. There's still some copies. Oh, my God. I didn't online, know. All right. So, yes. Well, just read one chapter at a time because that's all you need. Um, each self-contained story, moral, moral fable. Um, but I met Jim when I was, uh, I was a sack boy at a local big star grocery. Yes. They, yes, Martha, there really are big, there really were big star groceries here in town. And I worked at it and Jim would come in on Friday nights and, or Friday afternoons. And so, uh, I was, I knew, I, I knew who he was and I knew who he had played on the, uh, on some of my favorite records. So I, we're walking to the car and I've got his stuff. And I say to him, I said, you're Jim Dickinson, right? He said, yeah. I said, you played on, and he thought I was going to say, um, uh, wild horses by the Rolling Stones. But instead I said, you you played on Teenage Head by the Flamin' Groovies. And he said, yeah, I made 700 bucks. They flew me up for one night. Didn't I didn't have to practice. <laughs> I, they just... They just gave me the money, and I and I went back home. What were what were the groceries that he bought? I can't remember, Jim. Uh, what did Jim? I don't know. He, he he never broke a jar of mayonnaise in the store, so he was he remained a friend of mine. Okay. <laughs> so there was no cleanup on aisle five. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Alpha, yeah, it's just Ross clean up on aisle five. I was hard to find at times. So, how did you wind up now? Now, you, you wind up doing, uh, uh, you know, doing some playing on Like Flies on Sherbert, you know, the Alex Chilton record that Dickinson produced and played on. How, how did you wind up on that from bagging groceries to, uh, to All right, performing well, Baron of um, Okay, Alex, um, to, 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 um, Alex was in New York from February 77 through December and uh, staying in Little India and, and Terry Ork flew him up and then all the other things that are well documented. Um, uh, let's see. Where should I? I think I've lost my train of thought. Can we repeat oh, that's the question? Okay. Yes, yes. We were talking about uh, like flies on Sherbert. We need to we need oh, to yeah. kind of move it quickly here. But you you wind up on oh, yeah. like flies on Sherbert, and you're performing Baron of Love. I'm just curious as to how you worked yourself into All this right. click of, of well, uh, Southern fried fruitcakes, Matt. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well. Anyway, I met. Um, I I I I called Alex first one. Uh, and I looked up his number or I looked up Sidney Chilton's number in the phone book, but they still had him then. And I said, I wonder if that's, if he's related to Alex Chilton. So I pick up the phone and I, and I said, I'm trying to get in touch with Alex. And he said, I'm Alex. And I said, I just want you to know how much I liked uh, your first, you know, your radio city and number one record. He said, well, thanks. 
And it was the oddest sensation because there was no rock star stuff. There was nothing. I mean, I was talking to a person. Right. And that seemed very interesting and odd. And then a year later, he he played a local college with Lisa Aldridge and uh, somebody else. And he says, I'm going to be at Procope Gardens, which was a notorious hippie club after this so come on by and hang out so i did and of course alex's keen interest in astrology uh, the the first words out of his mouth when i got there were when were you born and i i don't know what it means i'm not a, an adherent of astrology but i said june 5th he said ah gemini and then he asked me what time of day I was born. And then he started trying to explain to me how, even though he was a Capricorn, he was really a Gemini. And so was Lisa Aldridge. And so I just nodded my head in agreement. I didn't <laughs> feel like saying, oh, you mean uh, astrology, like the false science of meteorology? You know, I, I wasn't going to do that. Right. So we started drinking together and then we started playing first in a, uh, this strange group called the, uh, yard, the yard dogs. And we would play downtown, um, just, just for change. And it was two acoustic guitars and a snare drum. Sometimes it would be Richard Roseboro, but we would do it, um, in the, uh, around lunchtime downtown. So then uh, I got invited, he, he says, because of Maldi, so he says, you know, I think you could do some kind of spoken word thing um, for this record. So come on by Phillips that Friday night. This is February 79. At that point, I was friends with a teenage girl who was probably the best T wet t-shirt contest competitor here in town and her yeah. finishing maneuver was to uh just pull up her top which no other girl or woman would do so i got there kind of late and things were pretty wet <laughs> and uh so i ended up playing on the final session which was august 16th 79 and uh, I did Baron of Love, and of course, being August 6th, 16th, the King's Death Day, I did, just sort of naturally came out uh, about Elvis Aaron. And so, uh, what I and so I didn't realize at that time that I was, uh, it's in the book, but I was establishing some kind of working method, uh, which consisted of musicians playing anything they wanted at any tempo, any key, as if I could tell, and then me ranting on top of that. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I didn't know that I would ever do another record, but I've done, uh, you know, I've done quite a few since then. They've been uh, compiled into a record called the Make It Stop, the most of Ross Johnson put out yes. by Goner Records in 2007, 2008. And then um, the last few years, I've been 
losing money for a label called Space Case Records based in Austin. And so I did a record with Tav about four years ago. And uh, we, we, we got him his fee. And I, and I sort of just, just, just to mess with him. Um, I got five, I cashed a $500 check. And so I got $250 and put it <laughs> right and, and gave it to him. And so he, and so he counted it and he says, now Ross, uh, I thought that we agreed that it was going to be $500 for my performance fee today. And I said, yeah, tab, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> then I gave him the rest of the money. So, um, I think you can relate. Sure. Yes. Yes. I remember Tav, Tav had a, a way of, uh, he would, he would take money out of his pocket like he was going to pay you, but he would hold it right there close to his pocket. <laughs> and like, like as if you were going to say, Oh no, that's okay to have. And he could just shove it right back in there. You know, it's like you'd be waiting for that. It would seem like, uh, you know, a, yeah. a long distance to go from his pocket to your hand, you know, like it might not ever get there. Oh yeah. But, and, uh, and, and, not to dog tab because as, as I said to you last night, I've, I've tab and I have really become friends in recent years. Now yes, that I'm, you know, now that I'll, yes, yes. We all have warm feelings for tab. You know, it's uh, these, these, these eccentricities of tab, uh, you know, just are all yeah. part of the whole, the whole deal. Um, so then the Panther burn starts. Um, and on the first record, you have, uh, Alex and Jim Duckworth each playing guitar and drums and switching off between them. Oh yeah. Which made it a much better record. I thought than my playing. When do you wind up playing drums with the Panther Burns? Was it before that and then just not on that record? Oh, yeah, then, yeah. Okay. That was my first firing. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I think it got to be because I was uh, perhaps imbibing so much that I, I, I just couldn't keep a steady beat and uh, perhaps some um, girlfriend politics because Alex – would would always could and would always if he wanted take my girlfriend du jour <laughs> and okay. so one time i uh he threw somebody away and i had been waiting <laughs> quite a few years and so i said how about me so um but i'm i'm not sure but i was certainly fired and it was the night before uh A&R man ray farrell got and in, got into town and so i decided to celebrate my firing with a beer can fight um with the panther burns while they were on stage <laughs> and mostly full beer mostly full beer cans on both sides oh geez and so um after that i was barred uh from the club on but it changed owners the next the the next day but yeah i was fired from from that first record but i really love alex's drumming he it was just so great and so uh you know and and so i had been playing these parts for you know two and a half years so 
I don't, you know, I think it would have been a little too standard, a little too boring, uh, but, but Alex's tempo just made that record. And along with the Tate County, uh, Mississippi Fife and Drum Corps, <clears throat> I thought they were great. So after that, I got, so I was fired in May of 81. And then in June of 81, I was hired back for better or worse. And that was uh, one of the first disc, disc missiles. Yeah, I'm confused. Um, so I don't know. So who, Tav Falco is at Panther Burns and so is Alex, because I don't know who these people are. Yeah, they're, just, they're both in the same band. Yes, yes. Tav Falco was the singer and guitar player. Alex started the band with him, but was uh, just the guitar player. And uh, and Ross was in the band, and they had Ron Miller was the bass player. But then yeah. they also had Jim Duckworth in the band, and he would at one time they would switch drums and guitar between Alex and Jim Duckworth, I guess. Uh, but but then Ross was the drummer as well. And then, and then they got, and then they relocated to the Lower East Side for a while, and they got Jim Sclavunos. Um, okay, because I've never heard of this band before until I met Renee. Well, I tell you, it, it, we, aren't, we aren't exactly chart toppers, I tell you. <laughs> no, but it, but it is, a, is a, a, a landmark group that uh, had, is, has had, Lots and lots of people in it by this time, but uh, there were well over a hundred now. Well yeah. over a hundred, you know. This is thirty something years later, but uh, they were influential with uh, uh, bands like you know John Spencer, Blues Explosion. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, the you know garage rock, uh, trash blues stuff that a hundred people in one band. Over time, it's not not at one time. It's mainly a four piece band, but uh, year is this, after like, year. Like we are the year. world. Is this like we are the world or something? As I say, four at a time. But year after year, the bands have changed. The only thing that's been consistent is Tav Falco has been mm -hmm. in it the whole time. Okay. But uh, yeah. but Ross Ross has been one of the more consistent members in that you played drums uh, in many different eras on on the Panther Burns and. Uh, and and so by the time I got in the band, which I say was '83, um, yeah. uh, we making like the the third Pantherburn record at that time, which was uh, Sugar Ditch Revisited. Yeah, we had just yeah a a, a fan gave us seven hundred fifty bucks just to start a new record. I mean, a really nice guy, and he just and so then we uh, that. We got started at, in the uh, back studio at Sam Phillips on the machine that uh, Roland Janes, the engineer, claimed was the machine that Elvis and most of the rockabilly or rock and roll stuff was cut on. Right, <laughs> so right. It's a little, little bitty studio. I was thinking today that, uh, you know, uh, you and I and Tav are the only people alive from that session. You know, Alex is gone. Uh, Roland James is gone. And Jim Dickinson oh, yeah. is gone. Dickinson is gone. Lee Baker is gone. Um, yeah. Uh, out of like flies on Sherbert, that's like about half the people on the record are gone. Right. Right. Um, being a bit of an over but, 
Last yesterday, I asked you if you remembered this lyric, and so anyway, Tav was uh, running down a new song for us, and we had been. I think Patrick Matei had told Tav that he had to finish the record before he could cut, before he could come over, before you could come over for another tour by that time i had stopped doing really uh i i liked the first european tour we did because you know we worked with an agency and then and then the second one i found out was booked by a mental patient in much of it in amsterdam and so you so george told me that you had a lot of gaps in the in your in, in the in tour that schedule, second. yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, well, yes. You you were you were over there for that for that first one, but we we've, we've skipped over a lot. But you know, I'm thinking, uh, Manny, this might be a good time to uh, to collect ourselves, uh, make another cocktail, and we can uh, yeah and come back with with Ross and and address the rest of this uh, the stellar. All career. right, yeah, Ross, yeah. we're gonna take our break. We'll be right back. That's fine. Hang on. Oh yeah, I'm with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Ross Johnson, 
from Memphis, Tennessee. Now, Ross, I know that you haven't uh, listened to many of these podcasts so far, but uh, the nation, the troubled nation, knows uh, is all is very familiar with this product. Um, so, Manny, why don't you go ahead and, and tell uh, Ross about this terrific product? Sell me. Ross. Tell me, Manny. Ross, you sound like a partier to me. Are you a partier? You like well, the party. the right circumstances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get a nice cold beer and a warm woman. That's a party. Sure. Don't you think? Or a uh, lifestyle you'll come to regret. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But listen, Ross, uh, I'm going to talk to you about the Velo Bar. Velo bar, Ross. It's a uh, it's a CBD bar. And ah. we've, been we've been associated with this company for a while. It's a healthy protein bar that'll fill you up and it'll calm you down. All right. It's got twenty five milligrams of CBD per bar, and it's two great flavors: peanut butter and dark chocolate. It comes from plant based protein, superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. It's like a relief bar, or it could be a breakfast bar. Mm -hmm. I like to have it after doing yard work because, you know, I'm an old man. And, uh, in fact, I was weed eating just the other day, and I almost chopped off my toe. Ouch. So um, it, it helps with that kind of stuff. And, Ross, yes, this stuff is popular. Our nation loves it. And if you go to VelobarCBD.com right now, mm -hmm and order one of these bars and use our Troubled Men 1-5 code, promo code, you'll get 15% off your order and free shipping. And it's all I about may the place future. an order right now. Let's just yeah. go off. Yeah. Do it right now. VeloBarCBD.com. V-E-L-O-B-A-R-C-B-D.com. Get my phone out here. And, all right. And, in fact, Ross, yes. you go to that website, there's other things you can order. Renee? Yes, yes. So besides the uh, Velobar CBD, uh, they've branched out. They now have uh, uh, Delta 8 THC bars. So yeah. uh, I'm very, very familiar with those. Now, yes. those are psychoactive, so you have to be 21 or older yeah. to order those. But, uh, you know, if, if you're someone that, that, that likes to get high, likes weed, psychoactive, uh, they have the... Uh, the uh, the Delta, what do they call them? Great Escape cookies. Yeah, the Delta 8, Great <laughs> yes. Escape. And there's also brownies now, right? Isn't there brownies yes, the, now? The Great Escape uh, brownies, I think they call them space cake brownies. And they yes. they, they have like 25 milligrams of, of CBD or 50 milligrams of CBD. They used to have 100, but it wound up being too strong. So uh, so they so they uh, <laughs> had to had to put an end to that. So but, uh, says you. But All this right. is this is uh, I mean, well, you could always take two of the 50s. There's no no st there's no uh, limit on how much you can yourself take. But uh, the new math. Right, yes, right. The so uh, these are legal in 42 states. They can be shipped uh, to 42 states. And uh, and so and the uh, promo code is what troubled cookie one five is that troubled, the promo code yes and and troubled brownie one five for those uh, to get fifteen percent off and free shipping right and so, we, need to, we need to tell the f the FDA to back off of kratom and. Delta well, eight well kratom let's and, let's not get carried away yeah. here yes uh, uh, yeah let's it, let's let's uh, not get carried away anyway continue Manny. No, that's, that's all I was going to say. I mean, 
You go go to the VeloBarCBD.com oh. website, and you can right. find those leaks for the cookie, the links for the cookies and brownies, and all you can do. And the prices are great. I mean, it's fabulous stuff. And I've been hearing from the CEO lately that he is um, he's he's enjoying every moment of this. He's making tons of money, okay, and well. he's loving he's loving giving out. <laughs> You know, getting people high and stuff like that. Nice, so, nice, great. And he's a good guy. Yes, uh, yes. I, I forget his name right now, but he's a good guy. It's it's not important. Uh, yeah. Well, well uh, Ross, and uh, before you jump in, yeah. let me just say, uh, as always, the Troubled Nation knows if you want to support the uh, Troubled Men podcast directly, uh, we have the uh, the cocktail fund you can contribute to by by manning a cocktail. It's right there in the show notes or the uh, the the web page links. And uh, also, want to thank our Patreon patrons who are continue to uh, support the operating costs of the the podcast. You know the. Uh, dedicated Holy listeners shit. listen uh, week in and week out. And so, you know, those of you that haven't signed up on the Patreon page, uh, we don't have anything special for you, but we have these these terrific guests one after another and 150 some odd uh, uh, episodes uh, banked in the in the uh, in the 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 catalog. So, uh, you know, continue to support the podcast. And if you enjoy these programs, you know, you can subscribe on, you know, Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts, rate us, uh, give us five stars. And, uh, you know, also, I, I, I always neglect to, to mention to follow us on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You know, it's uh, Troubled Men or Troubled Men Podcast. We're there, easy to find on all those platforms. So, uh, okay. Back to our terrific guest, Mr. Ross Johnson. <laughs> now, now, Ross, uh, there, there's yeah. a, a classic incident that occurs on my very first tour that I ever do in my life. It's that summer oh, of 1983. Yeah. I was still wasn't sure I might be going back to school. Um, I wasn't <laughs> looking forward to it, but but uh, then then I get a call. Well, we're going out on tour, opening for the Clash, and uh, oh, God. so yes. so we we we. We uh, take a couple of, uh, of ramshackle vehicles. I think we were buying yes. used tires on the way out of town and, uh, and uh, borrowing Followed cars. Followed by girlfriends and fans, so it was sort of like a convoy. It was yeah. a whole caravan of misfits, yes. Yeah. And, and, and we, we, uh, we make it at the last minute to the, the first uh, date in, in Nashville. Oh, yeah open for the clash and we the the net after that show they said well hey look you can't show up this late for the next gig at, at knoxville yeah. so we'll give you a, a like a two hundred dollar bonus or something i don't know what it was but a bonus if you show up on time so we we're really making an effort to, to show up and i guess we did um but uh just just a couple of days in it, it that that Knoxville gig winds up being kind of a a famous one. Now, you, do you want to take it from there and describe what happens? Yeah, the, what happens well, during the, the show? The uh, the evening before we played in Nashville at Vanderbilt in the gym, and so we indeed did get there late, and they were uh, and the road crew was very angry uh, about us. So I said is it okay to nail my bass drum? He says, I don't give a fuck. So anyway, we start playing, but they have, they have put us in front of, of, uh, 
this is in Knoxville the next night. They have put us in front of stage curtains. Right, right. I, I, I like to just to paint the picture. Yes, the very yeah. front curtain of, 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 of on the stage. <laughs> so I, I've referred to that ever since then as a firing squad style setup. So you're not set up like a band where you're kind of no deep. You're 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 set up just uh, right across on maybe like the last three feet, the bib of the stage. And we're all very spread out, you know, as if we're about to be executed. So now go go ahead. And so anyway, uh, at that point, I my uh, I was playing a Rogers bass drum and it had the front head off, which is, of course, sort of standard back in those days, 84. And so. We so after we got through with our set, uh, and we we were pelted with all kinds of things. So I carried the bass drum off, and and there were let's see, there was a bra, some shoes, all kinds of chain. I mean, well, change, right? Well, but but before that, while we were playing, I think we actually walked out and and started to play, and maybe Tav. Uh, thought the his guitar was in standard tuning and but it was really in in uh, G tuning you know an open tuning so he 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 had to stop that song and then retune in front of the whole crowd they were getting very very antsy um, you I guess maybe a candy bar had been thrown on stage or something and you you were you were taunting the crowd and tossing candy bars back to them. And they were getting more and more riled up. Do you remember all this, Ross? No, and those were those were during my sober days, so it's sort of hard to remember. Hard things, to remember because so. you were too sober. So, yeah. so it's at some point, uh, like uh, Alex, like throws his arm. The 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 crowd is half of the crowd is starting to to boo, and the the other half of the crowd was yeah. cl- Tav claims the other half of the crowd was really into it, into the spectacle, but <laughs> but. To, Alex throws his arms up like in a in a victory stance, and and the the rest of us see that, and we all do it, and then now most of the crowd is getting incited, and uh, <laughs> really, really now that 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 made an impression on me because it, it was the first time I'd ever had you know several thousand people booing me. Boo at, you! At I mean, it's I thought it was thrilling, and I mean any attention. Negative or otherwise. It was kind of thrilling. And, and in that, once it was over, I realized, wow, well, if that's the worst thing that can happen to you playing a gig, then really, yeah. you know, it, it can't be that bad, you know? So it was, it kind of steeled me for the rest of my career. And, and it was a good well, thing because I, I wasn't I, done with the Panther Burns. That was just the beginning. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple, uh, a few questions. Do you remember at, at the Knoxville show, there was a girl who got on top of her boyfriend's shoulders. And during the whole set, she, with both hands, just gave us the finger. Yes. <laughs> throughout our yes. set. I yes, that. yes. I, I wish I had a photograph of that. It was a classic image. I was going to talk about uh, about Memphis and, you know, the, the insular culture of Memphis. You know, like many, many people have left and come back. Yeah. You've never left Memphis. Um, I've been here since It doesn't have a car. That's right. I, I do. I do. I do have a skateboard, but it's better to have a skateboard and a car. Yeah, there you, you know. go. Well, I was going to say, you know, one of the things I've noticed, uh, you know, 
being in Memphis from time to time and returning yes. is that there's a, a very incestuous uh, scene there. Like, uh, you know, yeah, the, the pe- among the people that stay, um, you know, you're there one time and certain people are boyfriend and girlfriend and you come back and it's, it's the same bunch of people, but all the, all the roles have been rejiggered. I'm not, uh, well, there's, there's one, there's one thing I have, uh, moral, moral giant that I am not, but I have uh, stayed away, except in one case, married women. So I, uh, even during my married but dating days when I was married, I always uh, dated single women who didn't seem to mind uh, that I was That you were married, married right? And so it's, it, I thought, don't you have a problem with this? But then it became sort of my sword and shield. I, it, it was... Baby, I'd love to marry you, but I'm still married. I mean, right. I can't get divorced. And Lauren really wouldn't give me a divorce for quite a few years. Okay. So I, uh, st- yeah, like I said, got into a married but dating phase. And then the, finally got a legal divorce in 2003. But uh, because of money stuff and signing the house over, I ended up living with my kids because they were so young. And my ex-wife... Uh, in what I call the Barbie room, which was where she kept her Barbies, and there were about 300 of them. Oh, jeez. So I slept on a futon, but I stayed uh, (laughs) there. Um, But Memphis is one of the most uh, nasty little scenes ever. I mean, it is – I mean, because it's – because it hasn't been a real music town in what forty six years, um, what matters most is the uh, our personal things, our personal relations, and uh, and of course with the past year during the plague, people who were making some money just playing music have had to you know go back to work and clean houses and do things like that. And so now the clubs are open again uh, here. And so people are starting to jockey for gigs and, and also for new partners and things like that. Yeah. Everybody's uh, got a lot of pent up energy. Yes. I'd say so. But but uh, all the time that the Panther Burns have been overseas, you you haven't been uh, you haven't been idle because um, looking at all the bands you played in, '68 comeback, Couch Dancing, uh, Gibson Brothers, Young Seniors, and uh, all these groups show up on on the on your solo LP, Make It Stop, the most mm-hmm. of Ross Johnson on Goner Records, and but but you have a, a and, and that was a tour de force, like a 20-cut record that came out uh, about 10 years yeah. ago or something? Yeah, it came out in 2007, 2008, and it was – I gave – I have quite a few copies. It didn't sound – I can sell about five I, – I think I sold 500 copies of that compact disc and 500 copies of the book. I think I'm a 500-copy artist. Okay. Which is, um, collectors but, items. Um, Col- keep them collectors yeah. items. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Collectors. Uh, that's how I see it. Um, I have just uh, 
will play with just about in anybody. I mean, to me, it's always been a hobby because I made my money uh, straight jobbing as a as a librarian, an assistant professor, but no one knew of what. So I had to make a decision uh, er, early on, and 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 of course, Tabs. Uh, rhetoric about being bourgeois there was no one more bourgeois than i and so um i used to think oh man i you know when he moved to europe you know come on rose you know but i said fool you know you need to get social security and a pension if there is if if they still exist so i did 35 years at, at the U of M, the University of Memphis or Memphis State. Okay. And so I've always, I, so I've played music on a, I mean, it's, you know, I've been desperate to play on records, but um, there was an original contract that Tav and Alex and I did in December of 80, and I lost my copy, and I've never thought about trying to, Go okay, you owe me, all right, Tab. I, you know, sure. I what's no the idea. point? Yeah, those uh, yeah, yeah they're, contracts they're, are not really enforceable no beyond the uh, the ability of the other person to uh, to to pay off. So you know what what are you going to get? You know, but but uh, so so you have this this tour de force record, but then also getting back to your autobiography, Baron of Love, Moral Giant. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's like your recollection of the seventies and eighties Memphis underground scene. Yeah, it is. But, um, a lot of local people said, Oh, I bet you're going to put a lot of juicy gossip and, and sex and drugs and alcoholism. I said, well, just my own. <laughs> sure. Because I, because I tried to, I really wanted to concentrate on the, you know, on the best aspects of people that I was involved with musically and personally, although there was never much difference between yeah. the two. So I saw, I kind of soft core things, but I, but I did not, I mean, here I'm, you know, getting back to my usual gossip, uh, point. Um, but the book, I, I think people are, uh, you know, the few people that have said that have come up to or written to me said, I wish you had put more dirt in there. And so I don't know if there'll ever be another one, but I've, uh, I've, I've learned a little more about libel law. So I, I might put a few things in, but I mean, I got to live in this town. So sure, sure. No way yeah, you gonna... don't, you don't want to burn too many bridges, uh -uh. but I, I saw like one thing uh, you talk about in there is uh, seeing the stooges and the dolls on the same bill yeah. in Memphis. Oh, it's great. It was great. Uh, uh, and I, yeah, got to go and I, and, and I wrote for cream magazine. I wrote a few re I wrote a few reviews in 72, 73, this was September 73 here. And so I scammed my way. I, I went to see the promoter and I said, I work, I write for cream magazine and I'd like to interview Iggy and the Stooges. So I went some, somehow I got a pass and I went backstage and, and I, and Iggy, I think I write in the book that Iggy's taking off his stage pants and, 
And like I said, I'm not a, you know, usually one to, to look, but there was something down hanging down to his knees. <laughs> and I thought, Oh my God, that's yeah. He is. That's Iggy. He's and got I, a big cock, right? That's what <laughs> yeah. they say. That's what they say. So you can attest to that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So, and, and then, um, uh, I was talking to Iggy and, and he said, you want a beer? I said, Oh, I've already had a couple. And then he says to James Williams, and he said, Oh, Hey, he's had a couple of beers. Look out. You know? <laughs> so of course I was going to take that from Iggy. And so then we talk a bit and then I sort of just try to test him. I said, so how much money are you making tonight? Iggy says, that's none of your fucking business. Points his finger at me. And so then there's some groupies there. And so he goes out and Scott Ashton is sitting by himself and he's, and, and, and he's heard I, maybe what's been said. And, and, and he, again, in the book, he says, Hey, they wouldn't let me nail my bass drum to the floor here. Fuck them. I said, yeah, I have that problem myself around here. And then he says, Hey, have you heard the new grand fuck railroad Rick? Record, we're an American band. I said, yeah, I've heard parts of it. He says, fucking great. And so that was like my, that was like my dream, you know, because I was much more wanting to talk to Scott Ashton, who didn't, you know, Scott was a man of few words. But uh, as they say, Scott lived the life that Iggy, you know, sort of mimed on stage. So I was much more interested in uh, Ron and and Scott, um, but it was a, a great show. And then, then Iggy said, Hey, you want to go up and see this, uh, meet the dolls? And I said, no, I'm kind of scared of me. He said, ah, oh, come on. So I go up and they're every, and so they brought their own groupies with them, you know, Connie and all the, oh. no, I no Connie might've been with D and I'm not sure, but she had tried to saw Arthur Kane's thumb off. So he was playing in a, in a cast, but some nights they had the roadie play, a roadie play. Um, so the they were all drinking sham champagne, and there was some uh, expectation that Iggy or uh, the dolls were going to say something, do something obscene, and be arrested. So Iggy says to me because he was aware of, it, he says, "I'm not getting fucking arrested." <laughs> So we go up there and they're drinking and getting ready. And so during the last song, Joe Hansen just lets a few blue words out and the cops come from out from both sides of the curtain and take his ass to jail. So, uh, uh so it's a setup. So they, they were already ready. Oh to, yeah. Ready yeah. To, ready to Someone, make a scene. Yeah. There. Okay. Someone was going to be arrested that night, but it was not, uh, James Osterbergs. All right. Nice. Nice. Well, so just to, to catch up in the, the, the last, uh, year or so here you have, uh, I know you just had your birthday show on, on Saturday yeah. night. With Happy the, birthday. Birthday. With your band turnt. I, turnt, I love, yes. I, I love your band turnt and your, your big hit is uh methadone takeout party. Takeout party. In fact, that, uh, I should say that, the first time I saw a methadone takeout card was in 98. And uh, 
we uh, he shall remain nameless because you know him and others do too. Uh, this person is here, and we're at lunch at this pizza joint, and it's him, me, and Tim Prudum. I don't know if you t- know Tim. Tim he Prudum. used to have yeah, yeah, I know Tim. Fuck, yeah, yeah that, that played New York in the. <laughs> Anyway, Mark, oh, I already said his name. Anyway, he pulls out a methadone. He says, hey, look at this. You know, and he was so proud of it. And so I understand that that's how a lot of, uh, that's some bands from uh, New Orleans, Austin, and a few other enlightened places, like they would get takeout cards and enough to go so they would leave on a friday night fly out on a friday night play a gig somewhere play somewhere else on saturday and be at the clinic on monday morning <laughs> so um so you you uh, immortalize this uh in, in song yes yes i immortalize that moment with methadone takeout party and and people seem to like that also i what I usually do, or no, no, I always do, is that I, I might write down a uh, song title, but I, I, I mean, these aren't songs. These are, I don't know, performance pieces or tableau or, or something. But anyway, the other night I wrote one for the lady, or I did one for the ladies, and it was called Are You In Yet?, and I, got, <laughs> and I said, you know, ladies, when a guy let's let's be honest, there's such a thing as somebody having a pencil dick and and it's kind of hard for both parties. And at some point, you're going to have to look over your shoulder and say, are you in yet? And so the lady <laughs> I got I got the best applause of the night some looks of recognition one. yes you had that you hit a chord <laughs> so to speak yeah i did yeah they went they went uh-huh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so how was that gig was that a was that a well-attended uh soiree well it was uh not too well attended because jack oblivion was playing in town but i tell you if any 10 20 people show up to let me torture them i you know i mean that's a full house <laughs> to me so we have recorded since November 2019, maybe 60, 70 songs. Wow. And they're all essentially the same song. And I mean, so that we, I think, got a band camp thing. But um, as far as records go, I, you know, I've done enough bad records. My God, you know. Well, um, a quote that I liked uh, that I, I saw you were talking about uh, when Alex first found you, he said, uh, we were inept and offensive. Just what Alex yeah. was looking for. Yes, because he, uh, well, by the time you got in the band, things were changing. Um, he was expecting uh, more from Tav and myself, and we just couldn't do it. Also, Ron... Miller was a good player, but he was playing a stand-up bass, a do- you know, a double bass with a uh, with a, uh, and you just I just could not hear him. I mean, if, you know, he was plugged into a pretty decent amp, and he and he had the little mic under the bridge, but there's just 
you were the first bass player I ever heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was more of a happening than, uh, than a yeah. A, it was a regular it was band. Like, yes, it was a I, deconstruction of a of a rockabilly band. Yeah. So at times, although you probably couldn't tell or know it, I was trying to go. I think you're supposed to lock in with the bass player. So yeah. I tried to do that, but. I had to follow tabs. So yes, we all, yes, that's yeah. ultimately what, what we all, what we all, uh, you know. But Alex, learned. by the time you got in the band, was expecting some things from Tab, and uh, also in the book is one of my favorite Alex quotes because he would get mad when Tab or I couldn't do it, couldn't play what he wanted, and so I said, Alex, I can't play this. I I don't have the musical knowledge or ability to play what you want i would i would like to he says it's not that you can't it's that you won't <laughs> sorry for my alex imitation there and uh which you didn't feel like was true yes you were you were you were not you were not being willful you were you were simply uh, yeah. playing within your abilities yes yes well you know so alex uh so then alex you know moved to New Orleans, but he would still, you know, we would do weekend stuff or he would come up and we'd, we'd do a record and, and you were there. And, and then George, the Max, God rest his soul. I don't think George's soul's ever going to rest, but um, George came in and he, I love playing with George. I mean, even when we had, you know, had to put George in, you know, in a, in a chair on stage, he never missed a note, even when he was feeling a little sleepy. Um, oh, also, do you remember the time we were we were we were driving through East Germany into to play in Berlin, and so the road manager Chaz Banks from Manchester, uh, we uh, we asked George. Or we said to George, if you've got, if you're holding anything, will you, you know, take care of it and, you know, do what you need to do? And so he said, yeah, 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 yeah. So he goes to the bathroom. So about 20 or 25 miles into East Germany, he pulls out what he's got. And, he had, and, and we had just gone through Checkpoint Charlie, which in 1987 was the you know, I mean, I did not want to spend the rest of my life in a Stasi state-run <laughs> jail. Sure, but uh, George, I mean, uh, I know you played with him and and spent a you know, I mean, we all did, and uh, George was just one of the more, most interesting people. And people, I'll say, oh, but what about that deformed hand? I said that was one of the most normal things about George. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the more mainstream things. The first time I took him out to my parents' house to meet him, George being right-handed, George had that thing that he would do. He would shake hands with his right hand. And and my father went, whoa! <laughs> He wasn't like that, wasn't, so. wasn't ready for the, uh, for the, for the less-than-full hand that George was ready to present there. Because he, because because he because he had a because he had an intact 
right arm and fist, but he had an opposable sort of small thumb finger and no fingers. But yet he was able to uh, play, and I and I and I wrote and told him that I uh, that he was my favorite Panther Burns guitar player last year. I wanted to you know try to make contact with him. I knew he wasn't in good health, and I knew he wasn't talking to some people. And Tav, I know he were sort of on the outs. So, but I wanted to say you know say something to George. Nice, nice man, nice. Because I knew he was not great. Right, right. Well, that's, 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 that's great that you were able to make contact with him there before he passed away. I did not, you know, George is a guy who, uh, he, he always seemed like he was on death, death's door for the past 30 years. So oh, yeah. I, the, the fact that he never did, he, he always yeah. endured that I figured he would last forever. He would outlast all of us. Turns out that wasn't yeah. the case. But Ross, you're here. I'm here. Tab is still here. Manny Chevrolet is still here. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I guess we'll we'll leave it at that. So uh, uh, Ross, you know, I'll look for you next time we get up to to Memphis. And uh, you know, as always in the troubled nation, we'd like to say uh, trouble never ends. Uh, struggle continues. Good night. Don't end up like me. Good night. <laughs> First time I ever saw a millionaire.
Say it again, methadone takeout party. <laughs>